This is the Rhino for Mets Weekly, and you're listening to the official Mets Weekly podcast, hosted by four Mets fans who are brutally honest and don't hold anything back. Be sure to head over to our YouTube channel, follow us on TikTok for exclusive content on each platform. So with all that being said, let's go Mets and enjoy the show. Now, I usually start these episodes off with some stupid or out-of-pocket joke, but with the season winding down at this point, I really did want to highlight a comment that was left on our YouTube channel earlier this week, and it says that Mets Weekly love you like you don't know. Reason is, you guys are probably the smartest in knowledge of the game, good analysis on players, and I love your authenticity when you call things out. Stay on YouTube as long as you can. We learn a lot from smart guys like you. This is the absolute truth. And I I think that perfectly sums up exactly what we try to do here. Whether you agree or not, we're never here to stray from reality. Now, if you don't understand how we do that, allow us to show you right now. Episode 27 of the Mets Weekly Podcast, 60 Minutes of Brutal Honesty, begins right now. So y'all know the drill by now, subscribe to the Mets Weekly channel for content throughout the week. During last week's episode, I did mention that Andrew and I will be dropping a video on our top 10 Mets prospects. Unfortunately, that is in a little bit of a delay right now, so I encourage everyone to be a little bit patient with that, but we'll make sure to get that out as soon as we can. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok, all of our individual links, they are in the YouTube description. So the Mets have been playing better baseball recently with some awkward performances from replacements from the trade deadline. We have seen our hitting core definitely heat up a little bit. We've had some good pitching performances. Seeing guys like Jeff McNeil hit some home runs has been nice. So having a big offensive outburst on back-to-back days, seven runs one day, 13 runs one day, eight runs one day, seven runs another day. So uh, we talked so much about early in the season when they were struggling, you see a big offensive game, but then the next game, it's like two runs, one run. But being able to sustain that and having, you know, a, multiple stretches of games, if you're like, you know, four to five games, you're scoring more than five runs, that had not been happening. And for the pitching to not totally collapse, and I mean, we had plenty of games where the Mets scored and they ended up in like 10 to nine shootouts uh, when they had that, they're making that big comeback you know, against Tampa Bay and Cleveland and all that. At least the pitching is also holding up their end of the bargain. And that was another thing that was a reason why they are in the position they're in now is because if it wasn't the hitting doing well, then it was the pitching not doing well. So it always felt like there was some kind of way that they were losing ball games. But, you know, when you're hitting well and pitching well, I mean, that's the key to success. I mean, that's what it's all about. Hit well, pitch well. It's a lot easier said than done. But that is what they've done in this stretch of games on this past week, you know, playing teams like the Pirates and, you know, the Cardinals and all that. And that is coming right off of the absolute embarrassment against the Atlanta Braves where uh, they were just getting totally destroyed. Uh, So for them to come back and have themselves a solid week, it's good to see. Uh, They're going to need a lot more of it. I I know some people think that, oh, you know, maybe they can make a run at it. They get to play all these teams that are in the wild card and things like that. But it's a lot of teams to pass. So uh, I don't want to get too excited yet, but it's refreshing to see them win some games because – Uh, When you're under 500, you've seen a lot more losing than winning. Uh, So to see the team do well, and like you said, Carson, just with guys that you don't expect, uh, that makes it really interesting. But uh, we know that 
another main reason of their struggles were guys like McNeil not performing. I know you see Lindor picking it back up. Alonzo's been red hot. And, and, and we know. I mean, if Alonzo's hot, Lindor's hot. The offense has a chance. And, and that's what you're seeing these past couple of days. I think it's it's encouraging to see some individual performances. At this point, I'm not really looking at the playoff picture just yet. Um, and I saw a lot of people say this on Twitter, and I do think it is right. It's We're not in this playoff race yet unless you get to 500. And I think that's kind of how you, I have to look at it right now. Even though about three of the four teams that are ahead of them, the Mets are going to be playing in the future for the rest of this season. They currently sit six games out of that wild card. A lot of ground to gain. It's not impossible. I'm not putting any eggs in that basket. I think at this point I'm looking at 2024 and 2025, but it's good to see this team at least put together a good stretch of games at least just once. And we could actually talk about something positive and sprinkle it around the negativity because it has been a tough year. And right now we're at this moment where we're kind of just trying to run out the clock, but if they can give us something to cheer for while they are doing that, I'm 100% in support of that. I still would love to see this team succeed. Let's get into a topic that we've talked about before, but I think that at this point, it's something that we really do need to address as time continues to wind down, as we also just saw this specific player hit a monstrous home run for like the fourth time in the last five days. So with the deadline sell-off in the rearview mirror, the Mets are obviously looking long-term. So they have some key players that are locked down, such as Francisco Lindor, Brandon Nimmo, Kodai Senga, Edwin Diaz. The most pivotal piece to the Mets' core is still unknown. While set to become a free agent after the 2024 season, Pete Alonso's future continues to get more complicated as time goes on. The two parties have seemed to be committed to make Alonso a Met for life, but the movement has been very stagnant ever since that has been said. Mets GM Billy Epler, after saying that he plans to speak with Alonso and his agent about the Mets' future, said this, We love having Pete here. He's such a strong player for this organization, and he means so much to the community and our identity. But what comes beyond in 2024, that'll be a discussion that we kind of want to hold behind closed doors. After the trade deadline, Alonzo said, whatever their vision is, whatever their plan is, it really does not necessarily matter to me because I'm here right now. And I want to be the best player that I can be as long as I'm here. It could be forever. I just don't necessarily know what the future holds. As long as I'm here, you're going to get the best from me every single day. You're going to get the best effort to win baseball games. Since his 2019 rookie campaign, Alonzo has already made a massive mark on the Mets franchise, already sitting fifth on the Mets all-time home runs list, 10th on the Mets all-time RBIs list, third in qualified slugging, fourth in OPS, and 11th in wins above replacement. To me, I've been saying for years now, and I'm not going to sway from it, Alonzo needs to be extended. I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, right before this podcast started, Carson and I were talking about, you know, Pilon's a real good chance to hit 50 home runs this year. Uh, and that's coming off a year where, you know, you had that injury in the middle of it, came back early, was not the same player. So you feel like without that injury, he has a good chance of maybe even 60. I mean, uh, and that's the kind of thing. And this is not the first time that we've seen Pete Alonso in, you know, the upper echelon as far as hitting a lot of home runs. So this isn't a, a one-year thing. Uh, this is year after year after year of Pete Alonso being a tremendous power hitter. And you listed those numbers. He's become very quickly one of the greatest hitters in New York Mets history. Uh, and you know what? And it's coming from an organization that is known for its pitching. So it's not like we've had, you know, this great 
a group of hitters to select from. But I just still, to me, stuff like that is irreplaceable. It's invaluable. You can't put a number to it. You can't just say like, oh, you know what? Uh, there's that sentimental value that goes along with it because it's not so much that, oh, you can get another 40 home run power hitter or 50 home run power hitter. It, it's not as simple as that because as we've said many a times, it's not just a thing where you come to New York and you play well. I mean, there are certain guys that can handle it, certain guys that can handle it. Are you really going to have the right character for it? Because uh, fans could turn on you in a hurry. And I remember clear as day, Carlos Delgado. I mean, here's a guy who was a first baseman for the Mets. He had a ton of home runs. But then all of a sudden, start struggle, got into it with the fans, and then they want Delgado out of town. You would never have that kind of issue with Pete Alonso. So uh, there's just a lot of different things that go on when it comes to playing in New York. And Pete Alonso checks all those boxes. Uh, he may do some silly things. We'll get to that as our next topic. But I think all in all, he's a guy that is just so valuable to this team. And, and we've talked about it so much, especially with this current iteration of this team where they lack power. And Pete Alonso is your one true guy who always gives you power. And you take him out of this lineup, it's not the same team. I mean, the Yankees had to do the same thing with Aaron Judge, where they knew like they are nowhere near the same team without him. So they had to pay him a ridiculous amount of money to keep the guy. The, Met, the Messi can do the same thing with Alonso. I mean, I feel like that is the kind of importance that he serves to this team, and uh, they should express that by, by paying the guy. I mean, who's can to who here? Uh, if you're willing to deal a lot, if you're willing to put out the money for these super old starting pitchers, you can make it happen for Alonso as well. Uh, that's the way I view it, especially as you know the years go on, and we're going to get some of these expiring contracts coming off the books. Some of these veterans, you know, obviously Escobar gone, Canna gone, all, all these veterans that are gone. Hopefully, with all these draft picks that the Mets have made, they can have these young pieces take over and be on the team at low salaries, and that will allow you to allocate that money towards Pete Alonso. I mean, I'm hoping that's the route they take because that's the way I would do it, and I feel like that's what makes the most sense for this team because you've seen just year after year what this guy is at. He's not a guy, you know, good year, bad year, like we see with some other players. With Pete Alonso, every year you know he's going to hit you with a bunch of home runs. He's going to be out there every single day. Even if you hit him, he's still coming back out there quicker than he should. Like, I mean, what what else could the guy do? Could he be better on the in the field? Sure. Could he be better running the bases and not looking like he's about to fall on his face? Sure. But I think that he just does so much else well uh, that he's a guy you got to keep around for a long time. I don't really think at this point it comes with any sentimental like of you know this is our homegrown guy we got to keep him you have to keep this guy because there is no team without him and at this point you have to acknowledge that with what the Mets have coming up in the future and what could possibly help us out this is what you have established as your power bat who can prolifically produce every single year and he's not old he's not young either he's going to be a 30 year old free agent but that's going to be the prime of his career now the thing about pete alonzo is that we don't see any sign of this guy slowing down as in terms of power hitter and we've seen him just sustain as this prolific bat every single year for now five years now this is his fifth year technically four years if you don't want to count the pandemic year at this point, you don't really have any other option, in my opinion. I just don't see, if you do let Pete Alonso walk, if you do trade him, who are you replacing him with? Not even just 
for power as first base. Like if I were to look in to the Mets internal options for first base, right? Let me do that for a second. And I posted a tweet about this. You got Joe Susie. He's got an 100.8 max exit velo right now as a six foot two first baseman. And he's hit 14 home runs in about 700 plate appearances. JT Schwartz, fourth round pick from a few years ago. He's a six foot four first baseman with eight home runs in over 700 plate appearances. Ryan Clifford could be a possibility, right? But he's not going to be here until about 2026. What are you going to replace him with? I would love to know, you know what I mean? Like, wh what do you have out there that is going to replace him? There's no Freddie Freeman available. There's no Matt Olson available. So at this point, all you really need to do to solidify this core is convince Alonzo for the long term. I hope that this offseason it gets done. As he continues to hit home runs, as he continues to dominate as the ridiculous power hitter that he is, it will continue to get even harder and harder to extend him. And all I can say is that the Mets better be on their heels next year if he's not extended because a contract year for Pete Alonso is something I'm extremely scared about. I don't want to walk the tightrope like the Yankees did with Judge. I don't want to do that. The Yankees almost lost him to the Giants. The Giants got arson judge. Who knows? We've seen that happen to us before. Again, I would love to extend him right now. I just don't see where your plan B is, especially when you have other players here long-term that you see as the core of your team. I, I think that's the other problem, too, is that they do run the risk of letting P. Alonso continue to have good year after good year, and that value just keeps increasing and increasing. That's why, you know, Again, I mean, I was – my thing is when the Braves made their extensions for Albies and Acuna, I thought that's when the Mets should have extended Alonso. It was different ownership at the time, but I thought that should have been – and once Steve Cohen took over, that excuse was out the window. I mean, you still had a couple years where you could have made it happen right there. You could have gone for way less than if you let this thing go to free agency and he has a even better year next year. You're spending way more than you should have had you just done it years ago. So uh, that is the other risk that they are running by. If they do intend on keeping him, why not just do it now before he does have a crazy contract year and then you got to pay even more? Because And the good point that you brought up is that you don't see this guy slowing down. And I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that he's naturally strong. I mean, I, I see Pete Alonso as a guy who – to me, I think he could age pretty well, in all honesty. I, I think based off his skill set and the way he plays, I think he's a guy that he's just going to hit home runs for a really long time. I mean, I look at a guy like maybe a Nelson Cruz, for example, who just in the league a long time hitting home runs. I could see that happening with P. Alonso, where down the road he becomes a DH or whatever, and the guy is still just hit a bunch of homers. So to me, it's not like a guy like Stanson who had so many injuries that he just broke down and there's just nothing left in his body. For Alonzo, the guy, he's never hurt. The only time he is hurt is when someone hits him with a pitch. It's not like a hamstring goes out or a knee goes out or a hip goes out, all this other stuff they see players go through. Mm. So for me, I, I think he's a guy that is worth your investment because year after year, he just continues to put up numbers. And I feel like, like you said, there were just no signs of him slowing down. So, I mean, I don't see what, why you wouldn't want to keep him long-term. You know, going into their late 30s, somebody who just continues to produce, like, prolifically. I mean, every time when I think of Pete Alonso, I instantly think of Harmon Killebrew. 
as a player. Yeah. Like I instantly think of him. If that is somebody that you could model a career after that, I mean, that that's that's a guy that's consistently 35 to 40 home runs a year, right? And this is someone who who goes for some distance with his home runs. We know this, right? And he's a ridiculous line drive hitter. He can cover the zone at, at any point. So it's like, I don't see any other game changer coming in here and just replacing that production from Pete Alonso. Now, I understand we have Francisco Alvarez. Francisco Alvarez is great, but he's 21. We haven't seen this for a while yet, right? He's, do I think he's going to do it for a long time? Absolutely. I don't understand the need for just having one power hitter. Again, that's a different story. Let's just not forget, this guy barely sees pitches in the zone. You gave him no protection throughout his entire career, and he's putting up numbers like that. You have Daniel Vogelback batting after him. So, I mean, why would my impression of it is a home run equals four singles. It's four hits right there. You create runs by a trip around the bases. And as many bases as you can get, that's offense right there, especially in this game. They need to get this thing done. I think it's already been established that they need to. We already know that the Mets do see him as a priority, but we'll see how deep they get into conversations this offseason because it could get ugly if it's not gotten done in the off season. To me, why don't you save yourself the headache? Because if it doesn't get done this off season all year long, I mean, that's going to be the story in the media. They're going to ask you about it all the time. They're going to ask P. Alonzo about it all the time. So why not just get settled and then no one has anything to talk about? How about that? You know what I mean? Because what are we going to, I mean, we've been talking about it all year this year. We're going to talk about it all year next year. Just get it over with. I mean, save all yourselves the headaches and, and all the other extra stuff that comes with it. So for those of you who want more Alonzo drama, here you go. For those of you who missed it on Friday night, Cardinals prospect Mason Wynn made his major league debut for the Cardinals against the Mets and recorded his first major league hit on a ground ball to third base. Mets first baseman Pete Alonzo was told that the ball was going to be switched and Alonzo proceeded to throw Wynn's ball into the crowd as a souvenir. After realizing his mistake, the Mets slugger apologized to Wynn later in the game and said that it was a huge mistake, not a fun one to make, and I feel awful about it. The next day, Alonzo sent Wynn an autographed bat and a bottle of 1942 Don Julio tequila for the 21-year-old shortstop as an apology for his mishap. I mean, as far as P. Alonzo, something like this, sadly, it really doesn't surprise me. Uh, if you're someone who has watched P. Alonzo every day and listened to him every day, he says dumb stuff. He does dumb stuff. I mean, Andrew's talking about it. We've seen him doing some weird things uh, in the dugout, you know, uh, especially to the, the little railing in the dugout. He, he does weird stuff. I mean, there are times where, and he, like he called it, a brain fart. And he tends to have a lot of those where he, he just, we're just like, Pete, why'd you say that, Pete? Why did you do that? Sometimes his, like his muscles just take over his brain or something, and he doesn't know what he's doing. And he was, I think it was just an innocent mistake. I think he really didn't mean anything by it. He's just, you know, we call him a goofball. We call him a doof, whatever. He's just la di da di da and throw this in the, in the crowd for fun, you know, like that's Pete Alonso. Uh, and I think the fact that, you know, he apologized and gave the guy, you know, like you said, the tequila, the bat, all that, it's all good. And to me, like, this is just funny uh, in, in all honesty, because like, this doesn't surprise me. If there's anyone on the team that's going to do something like this, it's him because he just tends to do uh, funny, just weird stuff like that. Just be absolutely clueless as to what's going on. As much power as he has, like we just talked about great hitters, he, he does do some, some weird stuff. So I, I'm not surprised by this at all. I think the reaction through Twitter was obviously def like it, until it all completely unfolded and we saw that Pete Alonso apologized, he gave him a gift, blah, blah, blah. 
I think at this point, it's kind of just the image that Pete Alonzo will always have of just being this stupid goofball who is just not very smart. Um, and to be honest, he does get a lot of hate from other fan bases. And to be honest, I don't really care. I don't see the need to defend him because like, yeah, I kind of get it. He's a little stupid. Like he's not very smart. What I did not appreciate, and there is a total, there is a clip of this that was caught on Hot Mike. Pete Alonso getting lectured by Ali Marmol in the dugout, and Marmol screaming at him, saying, "What the hell, Pete?" And Pete saying, "I'm sorry, that's my bad." And you just see, uh, basically, clearly reading reading uh, Marmol's lips, uh, saying, uh, "Fuck you, douchebag." At this point, I mean, all I can say is that if there is any Cardinals fans watching this or listening to us, we know. Pete's a little stupid. He's he's just not a, he's just not a smart guy. I'm not defending Pete Alonso whatsoever on this. I mean, it was a mistake. He screwed up. Whatever. He apologized for it. Ollie Marmol just that, that guy robs me the wrong way. It, it, there was a whole situation with him last year with the whole brawl of Stubby Clap bringing uh, Pete Alonso down. I think he's kind of a prick. This guy, he really is. And. I mean, he might get fired anyway. So, I mean, the Cardinals have been so bad. And uh, I can tell you, Cardinals fans, I don't really have much against them. All I can say is that you guys deserve a lot better than that horse's ass. He's an idiot. Jose Quintana has been a very refreshing spot of the Mets rotation since returning from rib surgery more than a month ago. In 35.2 innings pitch, Quintana has posted a 3.03 earn run average, a 3.4 zero fielding independent pitching and striking out 16.9 percent of batters faced as the contact managing southpaw has surrendered three earned runs or fewer in all six appearances made for the Mets this year going into his last start Quintana also held a streak of 91.1 innings pitched without surrendering a home run which was sadly snapped by Tyler O'Neill on Wednesday night. This is a guy that I talked about, I believe it was the, uh, the last episode or the episode before that, uh, but I've been very uh, pleased with what I've seen from Jose Quintana, especially considering the circumstances. Uh, I think that, again, with the injury that he suffered or you know, the reason he was out is very unconventional. So I, I was very concerned because I was like, you know, how do you come back from this? Are you going to be the same player, especially when his velo was down and everything like that? How long, how many rehab starts he needed? That worried me a little bit. I was like, man, do they trust this guy? Because right now the pitches that they're throwing out there, they're not better than him. So why is he taking so long in the minor leagues before he makes his major league debut for the, this season? And he came up and he's picked up right where he left off last year. And I think that's a really big deal because – Again, last year he was in the Mets, so, and last year was a big year for him because, as I've said many times, before last year he had been struggling a lot. So for him to have the bounce back year and to have it not be a one-year fluke, I think that's a big deal, and I think that points to good things going forward for next year, that if he could stay healthy the rest of this year, have a full spring training, a true spring training, he might be able to do some pretty good things for you next year. And you know what? If the Mets somehow get a bunch of arms this offseason, don't count on it, but if they do, he also serves as a very good trade chip and a, a very movable deal because then you'll be one year, was he like 10 to 12 million uh, coming off two solid years? I, I think he'd be a guy that's very movable just in case. So I, I think he's just a good piece to keep around because he can either help your team now as a pitcher or if you actually have a bunch of good starters, he could get you a good return as well. So I've been very pleased. Um, it stinks that the home run streak lasted, but the fact that he even had it, 
I think was really good. Um, did walk a, a little too many barriers the last start against St. Louis, but again, able to limit the damage, get out of trouble, and that's been the case kind of all year long. He's gotten into some sticky situations, but you know, like like we say, as long as you're a pitcher who can get out of it and you don't let one mistake really, you know, derail you. We talked about it with Senga in the last episode uh, that you're able to kind of overcome, you know, runners on base and things like that. Uh, that's really important to being a very good pitcher. So. I've liked what I've seen, and I hope he can keep it going the rest of the year and, and finish the year strong because that would be uh, definitely a good sign because uh, we know how many of the offseason moves didn't work out and guys that aren't on the team anymore. Uh, so to have at least one of the veterans come through, that would be refreshing to see. I think I was in the same boat as you as to if them they actually did trust Quintana going into his rehab because they gave him a lot of rehab starts. And, you know, he wasn't throwing relatively hard. His velocity definitely is down this year. And it's hard to see if this does play in, but we've really seen a lot of pinpoint accuracy and a lot of a great fruit man from the left side. And, you know, there is a few funky things that he's able to do. Talked about him being kind of a five and fly guy. Consistently, we've seen six innings from him. We have seen him go decent distance. I think that this is definitely important as to somebody being possibly a placeholder next year if they want to, you know, trade for a starting pitcher after going after a few in free agency, something like that. I mean, I was open to trading him at the deadline because I feel like his value was probably at its highest. We saw that a lot of teams were interested in him very impressed with his uh, rehab every five days if you need to get five to six innings from him he's most likely been a guy to get that done and that's something that has definitely been impressive I don't think he's that great of a pitcher I don't think that he is like this one guy that we have to keep for next but I will say one thing it has been a lot more refreshing especially that home run list streak the Mets pitchers have given up a lot of home runs this year. So it's definitely refreshing to see the guy just put up a few zeros and give you some quality. He's not a star by any means. I, I think ideally he makes a great number five starter for you. Just a guy mm -hmm. who, you know what, like you said, every fifth day he keeps you in the game so you don't have to overwork your bullpen and just makes good starts because – uh, that should seem like something easy, but if you watch the Mets, that's not the case at all because we've seen the in-house options. We see how many times McGill got beat up or how many uh, – Peterson. I mean, we've seen all these guys that come up Buddha. Like, so many guys come up, make starts, Reyes. Like, I mean, brutal. I mean, absolutely brutal to watch. So, to have a guy like Quintana who gives you those, you know, just decent starts every time, that's good. He's not someone I necessarily want in my playoff rotation, but I think that in a 162, he does serve good value of being a guy that can make that starting five days. If you do have a nice top rotation, uh, you know, if, whether Kodai Sang is a part of that or if the Mets add an arm or you have guys like that at the top, then you have Quintana towards the bottom. You know, he complements that very nicely. So I think he's definitely a guy that any team could use. I mean, any team could use a guy that could go, you know, five to six innings, keep you in the ball game, make that start every five times because well, who doesn't need a solid number five guy? I mean, I think he serves that role perfectly. Uh, and he's just an overall, you know, good guy, no issues off the field, none of that stuff. So, and, you know, and this is a weird thing that happened to him. It's not like he's a guy who gets a lot of injuries and things like that because he made just about every start last year. And, you know, this was an unfortunate thing that happened to him. So, I just think he's a guy that he has good value in, in a lot of different areas. I'm looking at 2013, and I'm looking all the way to 2019. 
33 starts, 32, 32, 32, 32, 32, 32. Like this guy is out there every five days. And it was such a weird freak accident because that was something that we were expecting him to go out there every five days and give us those innings. And he got hurt because, you know, the Mets, they have to have injuries like this. And now we're definitely seeing him go out there five days with no hassle. I don't think it was even an injury. It was more of a condition, if anything, you know? I mean, this this wasn't your typical, you know, torn this, messed up that. It was just a a very weird thing that happened. I didn't know what a lesion on your rib is. Me either. I said it before. I said I thought it said lettuce on his rib. Like I at this like that that's how confused I was. I didn't understand it at all. So for those of you who do not remember and don't really have any scarring moments to their brain, back in March during the 2023 World Baseball Classic, Mets reliever Edwin Diaz suffered a freak injury during a celebration, suffering a full thickness tear of his patellar tendon in his right knee. Ever since then, the Mets closer has been making progress in his rehab, and Mets manager said earlier this week, Diaz threw off the bullpen mound and was throwing downhill at some points, but not his full pitching motion. The Mets have not ruled out a late 2023 return for Diaz this year as he continues to meet every rehab benchmark with Showalter adding that he might make it or he might not, but we're not going to push it. Day after the 2022 World Series, the Mets extended Edwin Diaz to a five-year, $102 million contract to begin the offseason, landing him the richest contract in reliever history. Uh, I still just don't think he should pitch this year. I think it's not worth the risk. I mean, if the initial diagnosis was the guy is going to miss the season, he should not be brought back if you are under 500. I, I think unless this I think it's like unless it's a game or a couple games that decides whether you make it to the playoffs or not, even then I'm I'm still very skeptical because I'm like, what does this team even do in the playoffs? Like, can this team even go anywhere? I just think that you signed this guy for so many years because you believe he's so valuable to your team. That was the first like the first day of the offseason. This is what the Mets did. That's how important they felt this was. So why wouldn't you use everything you can to protect him and not risk any further injury at all? So to me, I am just absolute to not let this guy pitch the season. I feel like he's going to. That's the sense I get because of the Mets. I feel like he's going to pitch this year. I would avoid it at all costs. I just don't think he should pitch at all. It's not worth it. Just let him be fully ready for next year. Uh, that was the approach I thought the Mets were taking. I mean, we talked about the deadline. We thought we were tanking. We thought we were getting in the lottery for one of the top five picks and not have to have our pick pushed back and all that stuff. But now all of a sudden we think we're going on a run here. I mean, what are we doing? I mean, what what is the direction of this team? What is the goal right now? I, I mean, that's one of the things that they, I really need to know because if that's the case, then then I would know like what their line of thinking is with Diaz because to me, I would just say, you know what? Let him pitch next year. That's the way I'd approach. I think what they're doing right now is like it just seems like some kind of feel good story that they're trying to like enforce about his rehab. And you know, I think from the beginning they talked about how yeah, the recovery time was typically seven to eight months, but people have recovered in six months. I don't know if they're grasping for straws here where they're just trying to find some happiness for the fans, something to look forward to or something. But I don't think this is worth it and the main reason is just because of as much as you have invested into him as of right now you gave him the richest contract a reliever has ever gotten i think that unless the mets are somehow magically back into playoff contention by the middle of 
I don't know, like the, the second week of September or something. That's when you try to make this push. But you can't really determine what actually is going to happen with this team. Because as of right now, yes, they're on a winning trajectory recently in the last few games. But they're playing teams that you should be beating. So I don't think that full-on build up so much hope and put your eggs into that basket that he can come back and pitch worthy games in September. I miss Edwin Diaz more than the next guy, obviously. I mean, I've I've been a Diaz guy forever, but I think that if the Mets have taken this approach to looking towards the future, I don't think that this is a particular thing to mess with. And if he were to come back, I think that he's going to be great. I think he's going to be Edwin Diaz again. I would just be very, very cautious with someone you have this much invested in to a reliever, a position that we've seen be so finicky with health, with consistency. And again, if he does come back and gets blown up, you know, what what is going to go on for next year as well? Like, we have to also think about that too, because we've seen the worst of Edwin Diaz before. Like, let's not, let's not forget 2019. It's hard to forget it, right? So at this point, I think the right thing to do is just, you know, sit him down for the rest of the season. If he wants to pitch rehab games in the minors, go ahead. Fine, go ahead. And, and I, I made this joke about him possibly pitching in the playoffs for the uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones, right? Go ahead. Make your make that promo money in Brooklyn in, in low A. Have him chill out with Jet Williams and, and Kevin Parada and Alex Ramirez. But I think at this point, there's nothing where, that tells me I need to have Edwin Diaz back right now. Now, I would not rush this, especially in the current position that the Mets are in. And this is just me being the pessimistic Mets fan where I'm like, okay, sure, you're six games out of this last wild card, but how far can a bottom three of your lineup of DJ Stewart, Jonathan Arauz, and Rafael Ortega actually carry you? Like, let's be real for a second. That's the only way that I see the Mets should be pushing for Edwin Diaz to make that return. And even if that does happen, it needs to go at his pace, even though he is recovering at a good pace and his rehab is going very well. It's going to take a lot, and I mean a lot of miracles, for me to be comfortable with giving Edwin Diaz the green light this season especially with how this entire year has gone on. So as we have already talked about throughout this entire episode, one of the biggest question marks going into the offseason will be the Mets rotation with Verlander and Scherzer being traded at the deadline. Carrasco will be a free agent. And you also have other pitching prospects in the higher levels and the lower levels, all in scattered development. And now that enters Yoshi Yamamoto, a 25-year-old right-handed pitcher from Japan who the Mets have reportedly scouted, including while during this year's WBC. Yamamoto has pitched seven seasons in the NPB, posting a dazzling 1.78 earn run average in over 900 innings pitched for the Ori Buffaloes. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic reported that Yamamoto is expected to be posted this offseason and the Mets are seen as the early favorite to possibly land the Japanese ace. When asked about his fellow countrymen, Mets all-star pitcher Kodai Senga said he is happy to recruit Yamamoto to the Mets. I have known him since he was 20 years old. He's an amazing player. I think he would be a great fit 
and the whole team would welcome him. Yeah, I mean, uh, here's a guy that I actually know better than Kota Asenga because Yamamoto had a card I used in LB The Show. So uh, he's a guy that I've definitely heard a lot about. And, and I think that, you know, when Epler got Otani and Otani did great, it was like, okay, you know, anyone could have done that. But then when he got Sanga, I was like, okay, you know, fool me once. All right, but now you got Sanga as well. So, okay, now you're on to something. So I'm thinking that, you know what, Yamamoto is a guy that, you know, I've seen a lot of teams looking at. Uh, stuff, stuff seems to profile pretty well. Seems like it can carry over pretty well onto, you know, the major league level. And he's a guy that pitched really well in the WBC. Uh, he's a guy that I should be all for getting, especially if they could do it for a contract similar to Senga, where you're not paying $40 million like you did with Scherzer and Verlander and guys like that. If you could get him and send like the 20s, let's say, and it's for a few years, even if it has the opt-outs and all that stuff, I'd be all for it. I, I think, you know, why not? I, I mean, seeing a Senga, like you said, as a potential Rookie of the Year candidate, uh, maybe a Cy Young finalist when it's all said and done. And Yamamoto, I think it's supposed to be even better than Senga, I mean, if I'm not mistaken. And I believe he's a little younger, awesome. too. So, um, Yamamoto, I'm actually all for it. I was very skeptical on Senga. Uh, but I, I think seeing after what he's done and just the way that, you know, Japan, they got so many arms going right now. I mean, you got Otani there. You got Sasaki on the way at some point. It, it just seems like they're just put, pulling out. I mean, they're just pumping out arm after arm after arm. So to me, I'm actually all for Yoshi Yamamoto. As for like the scouting report on him, it looks like he's a mid-90s type of guy. And apparently he has ridiculous command. And he knows how to locate. He knows how to, you know, enforce that soft contact something that i really also saw in the scouting report which got me uh very excited was yamamoto is super advanced and can alter the shape of his fastball make it cut sink and ride like this guy might have the kitchen sink it looks like that he's got a cutter it looks like he's slow rainbow curve i don't know if it's rich hill type but that's not even his best pitch he's got like this like uh very hard splitter that he had like uh, that's intriguing to me I mean, obviously, he's younger than Sanga. He's like five years younger than him. So it's going to depend on what the price is going to be because I think that Sanga signed for a fairly bargain of a deal with Yamamoto. I think that you're probably going to be looking at, you know, it's probably going to be seven or eight year deal. It's a possibility that you see that. Do I think that he gets paid maybe the same, around the same AAV as Kodai Senga around there? Maybe like, I mean, it's 15, 17 million a year or something like that for like six or seven years or maybe even eight years. Possibility, he's just younger and that's just kind of just how you look at it. But a 25-year-old guy that you have control over for a while, I mean, I am 100% open to this. And if Kodai Senga says that he is as good as advertised and he's also been advertised to possibly be a better major league pitcher than Sanga and Sanga has been way above the expectation that we thought especially from the adjustment period that he went through can't go wrong with somebody who you know again we joke about it but I mean first year rookie year got the all-star selection I mean he got that recognition as one of the best pitchers in the National League so why not try it again, especially from a talent pool in Japan? We saw them in the WBC. They got talent. They got some ridiculous talent. And to be honest, I, I hope that, you know, maybe we get, you know, Yamamoto and hopefully in a few years from now they get Roki Sasaki because that dude's freaking ridiculous as well. Listen, I know we also have that other guy from Japan that's going to be on the open market, but I think 
if they want to look for more of the sustainability and, you know, kind of not make the roster as top heavy, because we all know that that other guy, you're paying for two players and it's going to be 50, 55 to $60 million a year, possibly. I don't want to make the roster as top heavy as it was. And I think that this is probably one of the best ways to do it. I just don't want to be giving $40 million to aging veterans. If you want to give $40 million out, give it out to two guys who are younger. And that's, I think, a good approach for the Mets right now. And, you know, two for two so far with Shohei and, and Senga for Epler. So you know what? If it keeps them away from the aging veterans on the market, I'm good with that. There's a lot of stuff that I see from this Yamamoto kid that, you know, it could translate fairly well. If you have the kitchen sink, if you got a good bridge pitches, if you have good command and you're really good at not allowing the ball to leave the park, you're going to succeed for a I mean, when is you Darvish available? Can we just get the entire Japan rotation? Because I um, mean, this you Darvish seems... just signed an extension. Well, I mean, if the Padres continue to be such a disappointment, maybe we could swing a little trade because uh, they won the WBC going against basically all-star teams. You know what I mean? Just going against the best of the best. So why not make that your full-time team? I mean, I, I'm I'm mostly just being facetious, but still, like, I mean, they are, like, all of them are really good, so it's like, why not? It is possible, and again, Japan has ridiculous talent. We already know this at this point. Um, and guys who are highly scouted, they usually do fairly well in the major leagues. It, it's a possibility, um, you know, maybe, but what I'm looking at is he's 37 years old and signed until 2029, so I'm not going to go for that. But you know what? If he wants to be a decent number five at age at age uh, at age forty two, sure, tra swing a trade for that. And not to mention, if we're continuing to talk about Japan, there's a decent guy who could be maybe a a good reliever that the A's just traded, uh, in Shintaro Fujinami, who's got some decent stuff, and they can maybe tweak that if that's what they're looking at. If they're looking at good pitching. I understand. We've got the rumors still floating around of David Stearns, and we know what he has been able to build with a pitching staff. So I'm excited to see what they do do with this pitching staff. I hope that they take the younger approach. And uh, Yoshi Yamamoto is definitely one of those guys that you can definitely slot in because it looks like at his best ceiling, frontline rotation piece in the major leagues. So it's an intriguing upside, but I'm not saying like, oh, it worked with Senga to work with everybody else. It's definitely a good thought to go younger and uh, go, you know, internationally because there's a lot of talent that a lot of people don't talk about outside of American baseball. So now it is time to bring back something that we have not done in a while, which is viewer questions. So for those of you who have forgot, if you want to ask us a question, make sure to click the link in the description, fill out your name, your Mets-related question, and it could be featured in the next episode of the Mets Weekly Podcast. This question comes from Diego F., and he says, should Blake Snell be an off-season priority for the Mets? Blake Snell's interesting. I don't I don't know. That that's 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 interesting because he he could fit fairly well. Yeah, I, I actually love this question. I, I think this is one of the more intriguing ones that we've gotten like ever. This is a really good one. So <clears throat> Blake Snell is a guy that I know in the past Carson has been pretty harsh. He thinks Blake Snell is no good. Uh, we've seen Blake Snell walk the ballpark, even against the Mets. I mean, just walking everybody. But still, every now and then, finding a way to get out of it. 
Now, Blake Snow is a very interesting character because when this year started, wasn't the best guy in the league. Far from it. But once all of a sudden Gary Sanchez, who is never known for anything having to do with defense or calling a game or making pitchers better, all of a sudden Gary Sanchez, become, who was a Met earlier in the year, all of a sudden becomes Blake Snell's catcher and the guy becomes the best pitcher in the league. So, I mean, it for me, I guess it have to be a two-for-one deal. I guess Gary Sanchez would have to come back too because, I mean, I want that version of Blake Snell if I'm paying him. But one thing I will say, and this is something that is uh, very – you can never prove it with a number, but from what I've seen about Blake Snell, he had that whole – in 2020, that whole Rona thing on Twitch and all that. I don't know how his personality would mesh with New York. I think he's a guy – you look at what happened with Rodon and the Yankees. If he gets to a bad start and fans start booing him, I could see a war happening real fast. So he's a guy that that personality, he does have a pretty big personality. You know, you look at how Strowman. That's the part I'm more worried about. I know you're probably concerned about the walks and things like that. But for me, I'm more concerned that if the guy is just, if the mental makeup isn't there and things start going kind of funky, it could be a nightmare. Are you saying this is a this is a Trevor May situation where you can't trust a Twitch streamer? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of it. But I think he's a guy that, and the other thing they have to keep in mind is that Blake Snell had been a very good pitcher. You know, he was in Tampa Bay. He was great. You had the infamous, you know, Kevin Cash pulling him out early in the World Series. He came to the Padres, and first year was not good. So there has been that little bit of inconsistencies too. And, he, you know, he had this amazing stretch and things like that. And, and you're paying for that. You know, you're paying off of recency bias. You know, does he come back to earth and things like that? So he's a guy that there is there is upside there. And we know the Mets need rotation. No question about it. I'm all for it. Pitching, pitching, pitching. I mean, that's the way I see it. But I think he's a guy that, you know, there are those couple other elements that he's not a slam dunk. He's not a 10 out of 10. Make sure you do it. He's a guy that I'm like, okay, let's let's evaluate a little bit. And I mean, I'll look at the Yoshi Yamamoto. I'll look at some other options because he's not my number one guy because there are those slight concerns that, again, it's something that you can't really put a number to it. But I can see some possibilities and scenarios where all of a sudden the deal doesn't look like it's going to work out in the long haul. Blake Stone's an awkward guy. Um, to be honest, I, I just, as for him, I mean, yeah, the walks can be a problem, but they've kind of just been one of these things that has just been a rocky up and down thing for him where he's had these control issues, but he does not have command issues. So I'm glad that it's like, that's not, you know, something that you could work around. One thing, I guess it's just me being, I don't know if it's a downer, but I don't know if it's just every single time I, I see Blake Snell, I feel like this pitch clock is a problem somehow with him sometimes, and he gets very flustered. I need a really good mental makeup, especially when you're a pitcher in New York, and that definitely does have a lot of concern. It does come with a lot of concerns, but I will say he's definitely one of these lefties who gets a lot of strikeouts, and strikeouts are king. We need a lot of strikeouts you need to see competitive pitches i don't know if he can do that full-on consistently i don't think that blake snell is the number one guy to get out there to pair with kodai Senga of saying these are my two aces i don't think that that's something that the mets should look at but if he is your number three next year i'm okay with that i'm 100 percent okay with that and there's also some concern about him going the third time around the order there's some stuff about you know can he give you actual length overall 
this year, it's been a promising year for him. He's going to get some Cy Young votes. He's going to definitely get some of that consideration. And I think that, you know, I think it would be a good pickup, but I just don't think it would be the top pickup if the Mets were to fill up the rotation. I think that if you had Yamamoto, Snell, and Urias, if you were to get Urias or something, like if you were to stack a few, number two, number number two at best, number number four at worst types of guys to stack up into that rotation, I would be good with that. He wouldn't be my first, first, first choice, but it's definitely someone I would give an offer to, 100%. Uh, I agree with you. If he's your number three, sure, but I think based off the year he had, and like you said, the Cy Young votes, I think when are looking at the free agent market, people are going to pay him to be his ace. Uh, to be their ace of a team that maybe doesn't have a great rotation, a team that's up and coming, a team is good. I feel like it's going to overpay for him. So I wouldn't want to get into a bidding war. Like you said, if I can get him for a decent price, my third, I'd love that. Or my, even my two. But I think that people are going to pay him to become their ace. And, and that's where I just don't think he's worth that kind of. Are you saying that he's going to get um, maybe more than Taiwan Walker got? I don't I mean, <laughs> Taiwan Walker got <laughs> quite a pretty penny, but. I mean, oh, oh my Taiwan God. Walker's agent knows how to deal. I'll tell you that. So now that brings us to our favorite segment every single week, studs and duds. One player that we want to give some flowers to and then one player that we want to absolutely take a massive dump on for playing like shit in the last week. Start with studs. Okay, so I'm actually going to give it to someone who I don't think I've given to this year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, how about Brandon Nimmo? I think that Nimmo has had a very under-the-radar, very good week. And what I like about what Nimmo's done this week is that he has the hit streak going, but in a lot of these games, it's not like, okay, Nimmo got his one single, okay, we're done. It's a lot of, you know, two-hit games, it's three-hit games, and that's what you need out of that leadoff spot. You need the guy at the top to consistently be getting on multiple times, and then, I mean, if you're constructing a lineup, and then you have your middle-of-the-order guys, your best hitters, your Lindor, your Alonzo, guys like that, to drive him in. So, you know, we talked about how important it was to extend Brandon Nimmo. You know, offense starts at the top. He's the guy who gets the offense going. And with the big offensive week that the Mets had had up to this point, he was a big part of it. So I think that he definitely deserves a lot of credit for the Mets' success. This one is pretty simple, but to be honest, I can't take my eyes off of it at this point. Pete Alonzo. We just saw him homer before we started recording this. That's nine home runs in the month of August. Since the trade deadline has passed, the man has been really, really good. And this is coming off of a really tough stretch that he had where we thought that he was injured. And now he's coming right back to earth of, like I've said, a home run equals four singles. So he's given you a lot four hit, four hit games in that sense. Right back again, we are just getting back to the argument of what do we pay him? What is the blank check going to look like at this point? And, uh, you know, if he did not have that rust stretch, if he didn't get hurt, who would have known? Maybe he would be chasing what Judge did last year. It happens. It was a tough year, so uh, not many things went our way. Duds. It's a Frank about sports special, a guy that I never believed in before he even got here. Jose Budo. I mean, what are we doing? Uh, here's a guy who just comes into the game and right in the middle of the game, boom. I mean, he, he, he's just in there giving up runs, base runners all over the place. It just seems like a lot of times when he's on the mound, 
not good things are happening. I feel like he just doesn't have too much going for him. He doesn't do anything at a great level. And he's a guy that's been here a couple years now, been on the 40-man roster for way too long, that I just don't think he's been worthy of a spot. And it's like we've been saying with guys like Jose Quintana of why someone like him has value, so that you avoid Jose Budo making significant appearances for you because of injuries and things like that. So, uh, And Peterson, I, I think they could kind of tag team it because all of a sudden that walk bug came back pretty strong, and that's why Budo had to come in so early in the game. So I, I think a combination – uh, you know, two for one special uh, with those guys tag team. I'm going to also go with another pitcher who came up from AAA this year, that being Grant Hartwig, because he did have the wheels kind of fall off recently and he did just get sent down to AAA Syracuse. But overall, this season, I think that he's shown that type of promise as a possible middle relief option down the line. But yes, you know, just something just hasn't been right with him. He had to be completely sent down and. You know what? I'm okay with it, to be honest. Uh, but I don't think we've seen the last of him. I think that he's he's a decent arm. He's 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 going to be okay. Grant Hartwig's a good story. Um, you know, undrafted free agent last year, dominated the minor leagues. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens um, with him because I I do like him as an arm. Struggles like that happen. He's a reliever. Relievers are very finicky. So that brings us to your weekly rapid-fire story. The Mets have placed infielder Mark Vientos on the 10-day injured list due to wrist tendonitis. The Mets have also selected Abraham Almonte from AAA Syracuse as the corresponding move. With his 20th home run of the year, Ronnie Mauricio has now joined the 2020 club for the second consecutive season. After reaching this feat last year with AA Binghamton, the Mets' number four prospect has slashed a 836 OPS this season in AAA Syracuse. The Mets have optioned reliever Grant Hartwig to AAA Syracuse as the corresponding move for Joey Lucchese's spot start on Friday night. Hartwig pitched 24.2 innings this year out of the Mets' bullpen this season. The Mets have claimed right-handed pitcher Edwin Yuseta off of waivers from the Mets. Yuseta made one appearance for the Mets, which was three innings in mid-April before landing on the 60-day injured list ever since then. Former Mets infielder Daniel Murphy has officially retired from baseball. Murphy was drafted in the 13th round by the Mets back in 2006 and played for the Mets from 2008 to 2015, most known for his historic 2015 postseason heroics, winning the NLCS MVP and leading the Mets to the 2015 World Series. Parting words for episode 27, which is the Mark Vientos get better soon. Fortunately, Jerry's familiar's number. I mean, that, that's the, the bad 27 that comes to mind. So <laughs> I think my thing is that I would hope that the Mets actually can get in the playoff race. Uh, make it worth watching, you know, make this last month worth it. Uh, September baseball is it's what we all uh, look forward to. So I hope they can make a run at it. That would be really great to see. But if not, uh, you just hope to see the young pieces work out. And who knows, maybe some of these guys actually do stick. Like, is DJ Stewart a fourth outfielder next year? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, let, let's see. So uh, let's see what the young piece could do. Unfortunately, uh, that uh, news that we talked about, Mark Vienzo is going to the Angeles. That really stinks. Uh, I wonder if Brett Beatty is going to get called back up since he's been playing better in the minor leagues. Uh, and we, we still remember, so who knows. But – those are things I'm looking forward to. Can we actually make a run? We're going to be playing the teams that are in front of us. So it would be nice to have September baseball that really matters. It would be nice. I think that at this point, it's just a pipe dream. And, you know, the Mets just got to continue to win. And it's been encouraging the last week to see them, you know, kind of just 
have little awkward performances, see the stars maybe possibly be a little bit more relaxed now that the trade deadline is done. If they want to give their opponents hell, give them hell. You know, if they want to sneak into the playoffs, go ahead and do it. But if they don't get there and they fall short, I'm not really going to be that disappointed. There's really no expectation. But like we always say with the September spoilers, the worst team to play is usually the ones who have nothing to play for. So maybe they scratch a few wins and they get back into this race and make it interesting. But again, my fingers aren't really crossed. I'm kind of looking towards the future. But other than that, thank you guys so much for watching, listening to this episode of the Mets Weekly Podcast number 27. We'll see you for 28 next week. Let's go Mets. We'll be hopeful. Peace out, guys.